Welcome to Find the Path Ventures presenting Hell's Rebels. Uh, this is Rumor Mill number eight. Looks like we made it. <laughs> Nobody's died yet, so... <laughs> Not for lack of trying. Technically, somebody died in this series of episodes. It just wasn't one of us. I mean, that's true. <laughs> yes, there was at least one death, but uh, the main cast is all still here. Yeah, first first PC I've rendered unconscious so far. Also, that's yes, true. Is. Yes, that yep. is true. So closest we've come to killing someone. Yeah, I was going to say, I think <laughs> technically Vittoria rendered herself unconscious at one point. Oh. Yes. yes, she did. Yeah, but did, that no, wasn't No, I any... didn't fall unconscious. Okay. I, I just almost did. Oh, I thought you did. I, I don't remember that did far I? back, to I'm be honest. I'm pretty sure you, you critically battle yeah. medicine yourself into unconsciousness. <laughs> but I didn't think I passed out. I thought I just... I yeah, I think you actually blacked out. I don't know. I'm going to have to go back and listen to that. I remember having yeah. to stabilize you so I could treat wounds and get you back up. <laughs> of course you don't remember. You were unconscious. Yeah. <laughs> we're method actors here. Uh, yep, yep. We actually had Rachel just sort of, you know, drape herself in a sheet so she couldn't see or hear anything. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yep, you're unconscious. Go take a nap. Yeah. Uh, but yes, um, so I will be hosting today. Uh, I am Ross, joined, of course, by um, our wonderful crew here. We've got, you know, uh, we've got Jordan, Jessica, Heather, Rachel, and Rick. So, Bonjour. I'm sure you all know who we are Howdy by now, all. but, you know, in case you don't remember. Maybe, um, maybe they do. Yeah, a good reminder isn't a bad thing. It's true. And uh, we'll be covering episodes 22, 23, and 24. So let's go on ahead oh, and jump right in with our uh, episode number 22. So in this episode, we found out about the uh, about Forvian Crow and the Crow mercenary group uh, being held at the Salix Saltworks. Uh, Morgar basically spilled the beans on that entire situation, um, letting us uh -huh. know what was up. I don't know if it was really spilling the beans as much as just informing us, by the it's way, true. this is happening. Yeah, it was by bean spilling, which is his want. Intentional bean spilling. <laughs> yes. Well, okay, I guess he's spilling somebody else's beans. Exactly. You know. Yes. Beans have been spilled. Um, <laughs> they got all over the table. I had to spend a while cleaning it up. At least it wasn't grain. Yeah. True. Your proclamation, you must count every bean that you spill. No, uh, but that's only for grain. <laughs> beans aren't grain. Or are they? To be fair, beans are a lot easier to pick up than individual things of grain. Oh, yeah, true. Very much so. But uh, now that the word bean has lost all meaning, we uh, <laughs> we uh, spent some time deciding how to approach um, the Salix Saltworks and free the prisoners, and ultimately decided on having both of our teams uh, actually engage in some special rebellion actions. So we, we even sent use them. Yeah. Indeed. Well, we used one. I was going to say we used the entrance that they mm -hmm. busted mm -hmm. open for us. Yeah. We well, did. the yeah, we the did first that. one. Uh, was actually having, I think, the Fushi sisters um, go take a look and get a not only a map of the building, but also a oh, head count right. of everybody inside. So we did Start. use both of them, and they were awesome. You're right. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we went into this very well prepared. Yes, this is true. I mean, Morgar's Mad Cats yeah. also broke open the back gate, um, allowing us with a relatively easy point of entrance. And uh, yeah, I think uh, the rebellion is really starting to come together. I mean, our first mission was prepped uh, very well, I'd say. Mm -hmm. Of the various things that have been uh, kind of introduced or mechanics that work in Hell's Rebels, I think I like that one the most. 
Mm. The actually being able to reflect leading a large group by having them provide you instead of just a, oh, well, they can come in and I have to add 12 NPCs to the next encounter because they jump in and fight with you. The, yeah. Them providing you with bonuses or means by which to gain you know entrance or exit from a place or headcounts. Mm-hmm. It, it really feels like you're part of a rebellion network when you can go, okay, our guys went in and this is like this layout of the building and you can actually look at mm-hmm. it and go, which way do we want to go in? I just, I love the idea of it because I feel like it captures that feeling of being part of this covert operation. Well, yeah. it also is like we're, I mean, especially our group because we chose the secrecy route, but like we are a bit of a guerrilla operation. So it doesn't make mm-hmm. sense for us to just like walk in with 16 people, you know, swinging our yeah. swords around. Like that's <laughs> not really like the way that we're kind of running things, especially this early because we would just get crushed immediately. Well, at this mm-hmm. point, yeah, we're not really ready for that sort of action yet. <laughs> No, my only regret is, uh, well, we'll get to that. We'll, we'll, I'll hold off on that one. Interesting. Remind me to talk about my uh, my regret with you guys choosing the direction that you chose to make your entrance. Uh-oh. Hmm. Um, All right. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I suppose we'll cover that in the next episode. Um, yeah. My other question, I actually had a question for Rick on this one, too. Um, Uh-oh. <laughs> I mean, it's a pre- I think it's a pretty easy question to answer because I suspect the answer is no. But were there any Good. other types of rebellion actions we could have taken to get an additional bit of aid? Uh, no. Covert action and sabotage are the two rebellion actions that you can take anytime that you approach a place. So, And those are for specific missions. Fair enough. Uh, actually, and this is something that I, I changed in the adventure. In the original adventure, they only included it for one location. But considering that you actually had the chance to gather information, like for this occasion more than any other, and this was a strike directly against, not necessarily against the government government, but but against a government sanctioned group, mm-hmm. I felt like I wanted to add in the covert action and sabotage to this point also. I like it. Uh, and it might be something I add into a lot of extra location. Like anytime I'm basically taking the view of would it not make sense? And if I don't feel it would make sense, I won't add it in. But if it wasn't added in for space and I feel like it would make sense, I'm probably going to add the options in for you guys to get the map ahead of time. Because I love tactics games and I love giving you guys the opportunity to look at this and go, let's drill down and really figure how we want to approach it. Where it's True. not every room is a surprise. I'm a big fire. It, really, it sparks good debate because I felt like when we when we had that in place, we got to have a much more kind of focused conversation on our tactics of how we're going to go in versus it just being like kind of the the standing rule for us is we always go right, you know, and it's just like, OK, <laughs> well, we always clear the doors ahead of us starting with the right. It's like the extent of our tactics and dungeon crawls. <laughs> I think one thing that I would have been interesting um, and I don't know if there would ever be a chance for it to happen, but I was thinking about like the rabble rouser groups and it would be interesting if there was actually like opportunities for them to try to find like defectors um, amongst the uh, amongst the enemies that you're going to face um, mm. and try to like or turn like them causing a distraction go. that causes them to like, yeah. you know, some other people to go investigate or something to buy you yeah. some more time. Maybe speaking of the rabble rousers. <laughs> Apparently, we're recruiting from the school. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah, you guys just decided to recruit some rabble rousers. Does the Alabaster Academy have, like, a sports team? Do we have, like, a theme? 
Uh, oh, you're the <laughs> team name. We're yes. the alabaster and me- anemone. <laughs> <laughs> the alabaster the albatrosses. Yeah. Yeah, that that albatro- wasn't as funny. Oh, no. I don't want an albatross around my neck. <laughs> <laughs> I know we established that there was the devil's nursery devil fishes or something. I can't remember what <laughs> Yeah. We'd already established a couple sports teams out there. But, Go uh, devil fish. If we'd, yeah, if we established what the... Uh, the school team. Also, no, you, you guys are more the egghead kind of uh, Ivy League school that doesn't doesn't okay. have a sports program. Okay, I'm going to point out. <laughs> yes, yes, they play tennis. No, <laughs> I'm going to point out that I went, I went to a college that w- that did not have a football team, and we're in the South, mm-hmm. so blasphemy. Sure. Uh, but we did have a championship chess team, mm-hmm. and we were still the freaking Comets. So you don't have yep. to have a sports team necessarily to have a mascot. UTD That's Comets fair. whoosh. Whoosh. <laughs> oh, we I have three alums here, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I forgot about that. I'm over here team in the corner the crying comments. in SMU. <laughs> there you go. Okay, little rich boy, you stay over there. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So he's not very little. Like, he's almost as tall as I am. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, from there, then, uh, we'll go into episode number 23. Uh, wherein okay. we actually take out the assault. We head in through the back gates that uh, Morgar had so kindly opened for us um, with a bit of whoopsie doodle action earlier. <laughs> Some slapstick, yeah. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, we managed to get in through the back gate. Um, there was a brief alert, um, or at the very least a small sound, which then we... There was a snag. Yeah, then we jumped Literally. the uh, oh. people sleeping in the back. Um <laughs> Cesare curb stomped some people. Yeah, you, Cesare got involved. Um, there was a lot of slapping think, people in the head. Yeah, I think jumped is a pretty apt analogy for what happened there. Yeah, yeah. I feel a little bad about it. We just like walk in, these poor guys are sleeping. It was damn. so satisfying how smoothly mm. it went. Yeah, like, I know. It was so satisfying. Yeah, it was perfect. It was like there is no way that could have gone any better. Like pretty really. much. Just a couple seconds, four dudes unconscious. Mm-hmm. I did want to mention one thing with that encounter, uh, and that is the fact that I feel like it does show how tight the math is. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, definitely. Yes, it does. Because they own, they wear studded leather mm-hmm. as their armor of choice. And so not wearing their armor does impact their AC. Mm-hmm. Uh, studded leather being plus two, I believe. Yep. So the fact that like these guys went down like nothing, mm-hmm. and then in the follow-up encounter, mind you, you're fighting you know an awesome dwarf. Yeah, we didn't really focus on those guys. Yeah, but even when, you know, you're attempting to do anything with them, like, I feel like the moment that they're on their feet, they're armored and all the rest of that. Mind you, they're still not much. They're a creature rating negative one. Mm. Like, they're two below you, which is why taking on eight of them, uh, potentially at the same time, is still within reason for fighting these guys. But, uh... No, I, I think it just does show how tight the math is, where that that minus two armor class makes a huge difference. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it. this game is definitely like, you know, from second edition is like a minus two penalty really changes how mm. things go. So like if you're flat footed or anything like that, where you're taking like just a minus two penalty to your AC, suddenly you are much easier to hit. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, just my little input there. Uh, we then gathered ourselves, uh, marched across, well, not really marched, more like crept across the uh, intervening space into the building proper um, and snuck a little bit, but unfortunately were found out by the dwarven follower of Asmodeus, uh, Kasrani, who, mm-hmm. well, 
was an interesting guy, like not in a, you know, like I want to have a beer with him, but more in a, <laughs> what is your backstory? Like I just, Oh yeah. There's definitely yeah, like a weird. really interesting story. Yeah. We are not going to get from him. Yeah. I, well, I yeah, especially now that he's small dead. hint of it. Kasrani is the, uh, the bitter dwarven mercenary leader who had once hoped to become a member of the clergy of Asmodeus. Makes sense. It, Bye. however, became obvious early on that he lacked the mental aptitude and will to become a full-fledged cleric, mm. and instead opted to serve the Prince of Darkness as a thug and bully, offering his service as a mercenary to the church um, to the church or house throne. Long story short, it is uh, he does not have the wisdom score or the alignment because he's actually neutral evil. Ah. So technically, he doesn't even have the mental state to really be a priest of Asmodeus. So he's just a jack and oh, wow. basically. But he so had yeah. the bling, you know, he had the, the cool shield and everything. He was doing some cool drawings on the uh, the inside of the room yeah. that he came out of. Certainly Apparently, has a great deal of devotion. He should have been an artist. Yeah, that's it, where it's, he is devoted. He firmly believes in the deity. It's kind of the same thing of like, he technically would probably be okay with, you know, taking a little bit off the top and everything else, undercutting the money going to the government and all the rest of it, because he's not actually lawful. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, oh, yeah, I 100% believe in the faith of Asmodeus, but he kind of cherry picks what parts of the faith that he believes in. <laughs> right. Mm. Yeah. It actually does say that he's been augmenting his income on this sly by selling on the black market uh, what hasn't been missed by Barzillai. Of course. Yes. <laughs> of course. Well, he likes Asmodeus, not necessarily Barzillai. True. No, that's true, too. But um, he was definitely a tough nut to crack. That guy was skilled. It, it's, yeah, it's, it's it's kind of the it's kind of the opposite of what we were saying. Like him being in uh, what was he in half plate mm -hmm. adds half plate, yeah. quite a bit to your AC, and that oh, makes yeah. it almost like a fortress. Well, heavy armor the is the best armor in the game. Like you can't oh, yeah. do yeah. better than heavy armor, Num numerically anyway. Mm. Mechanically, he had a base twenty, mm -hmm. which is pretty good for second. That's pretty level. good when you throw in a shield. Yeah. Yeah, because that it got to the point where I was like, I'm just going to try to attack him just to have him shield block. Well, it's also like he was choosing to be more defensive by utilizing the shield. He didn't have to use the shield. He could have just got an extra attack. Yeah, to mm -hmm. choose between offense and defense. Mm -hmm. Now, I did mention uh, there was my one complaint with this. Mm -hmm. Oh yes, where right. it was uh, when I when I statted him up, I decided to give him a, a fun ability, just going off of uh, basing him off of some of the pre-existing NPCs, which included weapon mastery which allows him to do a critical hit and use his mace to knock a target back 10 feet. Oh. That would be amazing if you're fighting in the front and he could knock you off the 30-foot ledge down into the salt pit. Ooh, yeah. Because it's just oh. hammering people. Because that really only works if you guys come in through the front door where your backs are already against hmm. the salt pit. Hmm. But yeah, no, that so, would have been very anyway, interesting. That would have been fun. That would have complicated things. I think giving battlefield control over to... Um, to a lot of the fighters and frontline folks is very interesting. Like those movement abilities yeah. and grapples and trips and all that stuff. I think it's, yeah. yeah. I, I also just find it interesting because like I always thought it was interesting if, you know, regular fighters had like awesome blow. Like that was always mm -hmm. one of those moments that I'm like, oh man, they sent you flying, like literally. Yeah. And so now you can mm -hmm. kind of just do that if you have that. But it's also the bad side of you, you just, you would have just taken a critical hit worth of damage, which this guy hit like a truck. Yep, mm -hmm. and that would have been followed by a thirty-foot fall, which is fifteen points of bludgeoning damage when you hit the bottom. Oof. Yep, and you know if someone's rendered unconscious or is bleeding out from that, it's now somebody needs to get thirty feet down to them. Mm -hmm. Well, stabilize is a range spell. Stabilize yeah. is it is a range of thirty feet, so 
So we'd barely yeah. be able to get there. Yeah. yeah. And even then, once you stabilize them, or even if you heal them and get them back up, uh, the clay-packed bricks that line the outside of it are climbed DC 30. Whoa. It's pretty high. So the only option is to lower a rope down to them from one of the pulleys. So it they're gets basically into a out whole of the fight like, if that happens. Or Two you can lower the rope down. It just means that somebody would need to cast the spell, heal them. They'd need to be able to get back up. So someone on top would have to use an action move, like hit somebody, move over there, drop a thing down. Yeah. It gets into that whole the fun movement and di- you know dynamic movement mm-hmm. of a second edition, which kind of encourages you to have these more interesting over-the-top locations where yeah. people have to like move between levels and use interact actions to change the terrain. And mm-hmm. it's it's just fun. Didn't yeah. really get to use it, but and also there would have been a reflex check to grab the edge. Oh, true. Yeah. yeah, you can use a reaction. Assuming you were conscious. Yeah, assuming you were conscious, but you know. Well, if you were unconscious, you would be at dying two. Well, actually, dying three, because that would have been a You'd critical. be dying three as soon as you hit the ground, yeah. Yeah. So, who knows? Might be a death sentence for some people. <laughs> <laughs> then we made him dead. Yes, yeah, speaking of dying, uh, we did end up actually killing him. Um, we didn't really have much of a choice, because we were not going to be taking the penalties to try to hit him non-lethally. Well, admittedly, you were hitting him non-lethally, technically. but uh, I, Just by the nature of the weapon well, I was yeah. using, yeah. Yeah, ultimately, we did end up uh, finishing him off, at which point uh, the remaining um, Chelish Citizens group folks all ran. Probably smartly on their part. Um, Uh, I don't think Mm -hmm. them staying and fighting at that point without their boss would have gone very well for them. No, it's actually specifically in their description, too, where it's just... uh, well, the, the, yeah, they're not professional mercenaries or anything. No, and they're just... You know, they're just the concerned citizens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, from there, I think we pick up with episode 24, um, wherein we actually basically cleaned up stuff at the Saltworks, got the mercenary mm-hmm. group out. Yep. Collected some objects, uh, including you know, some nice hero cards, a bunch of treasure. Money. Basically, them moosed out of there. Yeah. Your existing plan worked of uh, attacking at dusk and then mm-hmm. just walking out nonchalantly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Covered in blood, but. Well, well that's yeah, what cloaks are for. Uh, yeah. I, thankfully, our cloaks, none of them got, you know, huge blood stains on them or anything. I think well, you wear actually red does, cloaks. Does yeah, Rand press the digitation? I'm pretty sure he yeah. does. But isn't it time. 10 minutes to cast or something? It's a like 10 that? minute casting yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. But still. So. Adria, I think, was the bloodiest of the group. So <laughs> I just wiped yeah. my fair, face off was, and covered myself yeah, with a cloak. She was bleeding out for a couple of seconds. I'm now imagining every time we go into combat, we just shrug off our cloaks so we don't get blood all over them. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, I imagine every time we go into combat, we end up looking like the main characters from Dragon Age. Mm-hmm. One, yes, but two, <laughs> then we have to, like, we take our nice, like, clean cloaks and, like, just wrap them around ourselves to hide all the blood so, when we're someone done. Someone needs to get a dog so that you can have the dog lick all the blood. Oh, that's off true. Uh, what? Ew. That was a mechanic in the first Dragon yeah. Age game. Yeah, yeah it that's was. Disgusting. Gross. No. It worked, though. To be fair, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Bark Spawn's pretty amazing. So. Mm-hmm. Do you really Barkspawn. name it Bark Spawn? No, but I wish I had been that clever. Yeah, I think it's the. <laughs> I think the Penny Arcade crew is the ones who came up with that idea first, but it's it it's also in one of the DLCs. Yeah, mm. like it's an alternate like universe thing, and that's what Alistair ends up naming the dog is Bark. Okay, Spawn. that's amazing. I like the idea of Alistair <laughs> yeah. doing it. That seems very on brand for him. Oh yeah, but yeah. You absolutely. guys got out of there with no issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we got found out, out that uh, there was some shenanigans. Mm-hmm. Back at the wasp nest, um, Laria spoke with Adria, most perceptive of the group. Asked her to keep her keen eyes out and see if she could figure out whether or not there was a traitor among us. And Mm -hmm. uh, Adria did find the among us. 
uh, with the help of Vittoria. Mm-hmm. Now I can imagine it's the Silver Ravens like shooting people off into space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> You're the traitor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes you gotta. So and so was not the traitor. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Oh. No. <laughs> Cesare was not the traitor. <laughs> but he seems so suspicious. <laughs> wow. Wow. How does he afford all these outfits? Yeah. We didn't shoot Cesare <laughs> off into space, though. I know, spoiler alert. But wait, it can't be a spoiler because you just listened to that. Yeah, unless you're starting with rumor mill number eight, which if you are, hello. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of strange, but But hey, welcome. you do you. You do you. you. <laughs> um, and then uh, after we uh, figured out who done it, we decided to confront Corva, the leader of the... Fushi sisters and uh, figure out what was going on. Ultimately, she seemed to tell us that Maggie, the uh, suspect, had been acting odd lately. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Sometimes she was herself and sometimes she was not. Mm-hmm. Yep. Cesare tracked down magic. Exactly what magic. I was about to say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you found a, a magical rat. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I I want I want to imagine that the rat did the whole like uh that dramatic gopher thing. Oh, yeah. just in the corner, and then you walk up and it just like stands up and then turns dramatically to face dun, you. Dun, yeah. Argent was trying to tell us. Rick mentioned like twice that he was chasing yes. that rat around. It's like the Crookshanks <laughs> thing with uh, um, God. With that, is, yeah, scabbers. Yeah, tail. Scabbers. That's yeah, scabbers. Yeah, yeah. Tail. The whole reason we got the cat was to get rid of our rat problem. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. As a fun side note, uh, someone messaged me on Discord saying uh, basically like, I see what you're doing. Because I've mentioned that rat, I think, seven times now. Oh, my God. We have mentioned that there's rats in there. But because it's just set dressing, uh, I think it was when I mentioned that you guys were like, oh, yeah, you're, you're having your whole meeting and all the rest of that. You know, and then Vindelfex leaning around to look inside. And it's like you look over to the side and there's just like a, a rat just kind of scurrying over in the corner. And I think someone's like, this rat's been mentioned a lot. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's why we got a cat. That's why we, we heard that was a rat cat. problem. Yeah, we that's why we got the Nobody cats. Nobody expects the rat to turn invisible, man. <laughs> it's true. No one expects the rat druid, the rat master druid. Uh, He's got master some pipes in the sewers and just. <laughs> and it's me and Cesare over there, like, uh oh. I love that it turned invisible, though, so you're all going to be like, we found it. It's this rat. And we're going to be like, we don't see a rat. <laughs> well, we're going to do some seek actions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Really? There's so much seeking. It's time for hide and seek. That's the name of the next well, episode. I'm calling it. There are two ways out of this place. There's the secret entrance and there's the tunnel. Yep. Well, it's going to have to go by us. Well, Hopefully we see Can it. we lower the port? Uh, the, what is it called? A port the portcullis? I mean, yeah, if it's a rat, it's it can just go through holes. The... Yeah, I mean, if it's, yeah, if it's still yeah. a rat, then it'll just swim through. No problem. See, Adria, why didn't you get a crocodile friend? So With we what time? That I still haven't gotten the dogs. <laughs> It's a whole Plus, thing. if it's a druid that can turn into tiny creatures, it could just turn into an eel or a fish or yeah. a snake. Mm. Anyway. Uh, we pretty much leave off there, though, so I guess it's speculation time until next episode when we can figure out, mm-hmm. you know, what exactly this thing is and who mm-hmm. it who it answers to, if anybody. So, or who they answer to, if anybody. Yep, yep. Who do you work for? <laughs> Why did you say that name? <laughs> uh, we do actually have we some to, emails. We need to have like a raise alarm button or whatever and just wake everybody up and be like, all right, everybody, we got to get the rat. <laughs> can't see him, but he's here. <laughs> yep. We Chase the invisible rat. We're sane, we swear. I'll <laughs> see you can't feel the rat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow. Thanks, Fry. Um... <laughs> 
All right, but we do have some emails if we're ready to move on to those. Um, yeah. Yeah, let's do it. So our first email uh, comes from Mike from Kentargo. They went ahead and placed themselves. Um, ah, this so guy. Mike's this, a local. This is, uh, this is our friend. Is this our same Mike? This is yep. our friend Poughkeepsie Mike, who is uh, Poughkeepsie Mike. so far been on Tyrant's Grass, Mummy's Mask, and now Hell's Rebels. <laughs> just, just working his Mike's, way through. I believe ah. Mike sent us three emails all basically the same time. <laughs> uh, well, hello, but, Mike. Hello, Mike. Yeah. Welcome back to the show. I don't know which one of these came out first. So. Uh, Mike says, hey, y'all. Um, hey, howdy, Mike. Howdy. Howdy! Hello. Hello! I'll spare Rick the effusive praise, but I'm really enjoying all your pods. Thank you. I found you guys through a response to one of my Reddit posts. Well, glad that you're listening. Thank oh, you. Cool, cool. Shout out to whoever suggested us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. You're awesome. Thank you, person. Yeah. <laughs> I asked about actual play cast for Rebels because our group wrapped it up in October and I was interested to see how other groups get through it. To avoid oh. spoilers, I'll just say you've already done a couple of things totally different than we did. <laughs> oh, there you go. Is that totally different better or totally different worse, Mike? We need to know. Yeah, Mike does Quickly. not Mike does not I clarify. Think it might be a happy so. balance. <laughs> <laughs> the first thing that sprung to mind is one of my favorite lines from The Invisible Man, mm. which is the I'll begin with a reign of terror. <laughs> it's like, really? You're going to begin with the reign of terror? <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> Usually you work your way up to that. I mean, nope. when you're a thrun. When you're a thrun or a naturally invisible man. Well, not True. naturally, but permanently That was definitely man. not natural. Maybe he's born with it? Maybe it's Maybelline? Maybe it's also, invisible. Also, I'm really disappointed no one's made a show about the invisible cat that he makes. I don't remember hmm. that bit. I, yeah, he, yeah. He, his first experiment is to turn a cat permanently invisible. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. I started writing a short story about that. (laughs) I look forward to hearing it. But uh, Mike goes on to say, one thing some of you may appreciate was my character in the AP. The Assassin's Creed series factored in quite a bit. Ooh, I'm intrigued. Oh, it's (laughs) Nezio. It's always a good inspiration. Yeah, absolutely. I played a tiefling slayer who had been adopted by a minor human noble family. Now that sounds rad. I like that. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Though his mother named him Arthur. Uh, everyone else addressed him by his last name of Bayek. <laughs> nice. Oh, there you go. Ah. A fellow Bayek fan. You don't get enough of those. It's true. Bayek's pretty great. cool, though. Uh, mechanically, he was inspired by Hawkeye from the MCU. I borrowed from Ezio <laughs> Auditori oh, nice. for his beginning situation. Oh, man. That's a... Yep. Uh, oof. Oh, I want to so replay Assassin's Creed again. Yeah, well, I'm still here. <laughs> Me. That would, be, that would be cool, though, because then he would know Rexus really well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a rich kid with a good heart who basically had fun for a living. His motivation for joining the rebellion was simply he loved the city so much because it accepted him and never judged him on his heritage. By the oh, end of it, he was nice. much less carefree and had become hardened, almost callous in defense oh. of Kentargo. Mm. Yeah. Oh. Sorry to hear that for Bayek. You lived long enough to see yourself become the villain. <laughs> well, not necessarily, just, just jaded. Yeah. Sure. I can't imagine what all else is going to happen, but uh, uh, probably some bad things. Probably. We'll see how jaded this group is by the end. <laughs> oh, jeez! Not just Cesare. Cesare <laughs> <laughs> is the, it started with the Reign of Terror, right? It's just already mm. jaded. Cesare's like, I've already lived long enough to see myself become the villain. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just working backward now. I was going to say, you're an, as an elf, you've already gone through that. Cesare had an interesting rebellious teenage year. 
Chesare makes me think of like the Asari from Mass Effect. You know, you have your rebellious younger years and then you become like the mature matriarch. Mm. <laughs> when did Chesare go through his dancing and strip club phase? <laughs> <laughs> That's when he went to West Crown when it was still the capital. Like that was before joining the Church of Asmodeus. He Funny side about note, uh, Chesare actually founded the Three Leg Devil. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Little did you know, this is where I used to dance, Edelman. <laughs> At any rate, when we finished the AP, Bayek was 20th level. Our GM asked awesome. what our characters would be doing now that the threat was gone. I told her Bayek would be taking steps to ensure something like this never happened to Kentargo again. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So while it was never my intention, a version of the Assassin's Brotherhood now exists in our world. We all agreed. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Excellent. We all agreed, an absolute must at our table, on its existence and left it up to each individual GM how much presence the Brotherhood would have in a given campaign. That's interesting. Oh, that's cool. So you have like like a recurring like uh, Red Mantis assassins, only you're like the good, like the chaotic good side of that? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, it's interesting. How many campaigns are you playing in Kentargo? I mean, I think... I mean, it's in the entire world, is I think what Mike was implying there. So. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's big. I apologize for the long email. Don't worry about that, Mike. It was good. Yeah, we like long yep. emails. Yeah. But it seemed a fun story to share. I hope you all enjoy this AP as much as we did. I look forward to hearing how you navigate through the rebellion. I think it's going pretty well so far. Uh, <laughs> we're at a, we're at a solid B plus, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. You know? Let's see what happens about this saboteur. One yes. minor mutiny is not bad. Well, it also seems like it may be magically manipulated, too. So. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah. it may not actually be. So it's not a true mutiny. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's off to Skull and Shackles for us, where I'm playing a concept <laughs> the GM and I have had since Assassin's Creed Black Flag. I swear hey. I can do other character motivations. Really, I can. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That sounds pretty awesome, Mike. Uh, thanks for the entertainment. We'll and one. then Mike signs off. So. Well, thank you, Mike. Thanks, yeah. Mike. My cat Ezio and l- liked that email. <laughs> yeah, our, cat, our cats Ezio and Kinway, I'm sure, approved of that email. Yeah. So. Sophie yeah. is also named after an Assassin's Creed character. It's true. She's really? Ezio's wife. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, right. Ezio's wife is named Sophie. Sophia. I forgot. Sophia, but yes. Sophia, yeah. but we call her mm. Sophia. Yeah. And Dex is named after Dexterity, the thing that he lacks. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he is named after Dex. Dexter, the murderer, but... We didn't no, know. We, didn't we changed... Know. You guys changed that. It's Dexterity. No, it's just Dex. Yeah, it's just Dexterity. Just Dex. <laughs> you think his name would give him a bonus? <laughs> no. <laughs> Sadly, not how that works. Our second email uh, comes here from Dan from... Uh, from Dan from Agetta, yep. I believe is how you pronounce I that. I looked this up beforehand. Yeah. Uh, Agetta is a port city located on the Lake of Mist and Vels and is the second largest city of Mendev. Ah. Cool. Oh. Oh. oh, okay. Because I was like, that seems oddly specific. And so I looked it up. Did and we thanks place for him? placing yourself, Did we place Dan. Him no, here? apparently. I think no. he placed himself. Yeah. Oh, very cool. I was generally nice. unaware of Yeah, Agetta. I'd never heard yeah, of Agetta we have, before. We have definitely not picked that one. So. Which is why I included a pronunciation in there for us. I appreciate that. Thank <laughs> <Like> you. <laughs> Dan opens up with, good day, Ravens. Um, good day. Good day. Good day. <laughs> that greeting Hello. made me think of the speaker in the Top Angels in Q anyway. <laughs> <laughs> First, I want to say I'm very much enjoying the adventures in Kentargo. Thank you. Awesome. So are we. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This podcast has managed to have a very different feel from the other two main shows. 
I'm really liking the <laughs> yeah. in-character group dynamics, and I'm especially enjoying Heather's oft-bemused wizard. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's just Heather. Oh, <laughs> Is there another Cesare fan out there? Yeah. And Ross's scoundrel with a heart of gold, brawler rogue. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. Yep. Thank Only you. there was a brawler class. I know, I know, right? I could see, like, Niccolo, like, getting down on his luck a few times and, like, going into a fighting Fight pit or something. And yeah. <laughs> you know. I think I just got Assassin's Creed on the brain now, but I could see him getting one of those collapsible top hats like Jacob and Syndicate. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> mm. True. He takes it off, slides it in his coat. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I like it. Uh, and Jordan's naive young noblewoman. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. <Yay>. I mean... <laughs> and Sometimes Rachel, she does dumb things. I mean... She's naive. That's, that's kind of what you do. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's it's like naive. totally fits. Definitely yeah. naive. And uh, Rachel's awkward genius. So yeah, <laughs> yep. definitely fits, especially <laughs> with that uh, story you told a few episodes ago. How you got out of the coffee shenanigans. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Definitely yeah. clean up the awkward, like, I don't know what I'm doing <laughs> thing. <laughs> and then uh, Jessica's up for anything team mom. So yeah, Woo. some love yep. for all the Ravens here. I like that I'm a teen mom, but I'm 90. No, no, no. Team. No, team. Oh, team. Sorry. That I makes so much more sense. This isn't pregnant at 16 today. or whatever that MTV show was. Yeah, I was yeah. like, she was definitely like yeah. 70 when she had a kid. But I mean, maybe that's a teen. If you squint. For a half elf, no. not no. really. No. Yeah, no, it's no. not. <laughs> For an elf, sure. But yeah. For an elf, yes. So you're having a kid at 70? Why? Anyway. Um, you know they live forever, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know uh, you have to deal with this kid for the next 700 years of your life, right? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Watch out for those terrible 20s. Um, at any rate, yeah, those terrible 120s. Yeah. Uh, he goes on to say, I guess I'm just really liking the show as a whole, and we really appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, there have been a few epic moments so far, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how the party handles the urban adventure. I'm also loving how this adventure just feels more upbeat than the others. Even Mummy's mm-hmm. Mask doesn't have the same feel of rollicking adventure that this one has had so far. And while I'm sure yep. that as the threats ramp up, things might get a little more serious, I hope that the sense of fun on the character side, I know the players are having fun, can stay and even grow. Yeah. Well, okay, we're hoping to. <laughs> I think there was something we mentioned at the launch that uh, one of the things that drew us to Hell's Rebels is that it just has a different vibe. It's just a little bit more. What was it? Hope optimistic. Punk? Yeah, a little yeah, more punk. like hope a little punk. bit more like optimistic. That. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember who called it Hope Punk. I think it was in one of the reviews that we had. But yeah. <laughs> Dan then says, and that brings me to the first of my two questions. Uh, questions. Y'all have played a few All APs. Right. Yeah. Yay, questions. Mm-hmm. We played many. This is true. <laughs> true. So which one would you say had your favorite ending? Without being too spoilery, of course, but is there one that you look back on as being so epic, so surprising, or just so well done that you wish you could forget it and play it again for the first time? That is a cool question. Hmm. I guess I'll go first. Um, really, for the entire AP. So I, I GM'd Reign of Winter. And Dang I it, wish you're going to steal I could, mine. I wish I could redo Reign of Winter like blind as a player because that AP is crazy. Hmm. Yeah. No, that was going to be my vote. Like, the ending of that is so cool and good. Rick is consulting the giant list of APs that he has behind him on the bookshelf. Because this is specifically about the ending. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So for mine, 
just the ending in general, because the, the general speaking, like an ending of an AP is a lot of times like wrapping up individual character elements. And so that's kind of personalized to each individual character. So each group is going to have a little bit of a different ending. But if I'm looking at like the ending, the last couple sessions, the, the final location, the dramatic, the especially the final location chosen for Carrying Crown. Mm. You I stole mine. Like it was so dramatic. <laughs> that that was a like, really good ending. Yes. You know, pipe organs and lightning in the background, dramatic. Yeah, true. And that appeals to my my love of the uh, the overly dramatic cinema. Very Castlevanian. Yeah. Same yeah. answer, pretty much for the exact same reason. <laughs> yeah. Rude. That entire adventure path has got vibes. Like it's got that serious. There's an aesthetic. That AP. Uh, yeah, yeah, that atmosphere is yeah. thick in the book. I think the fine folks over there at uh, Hideous Laughter are creeping their way up towards the. Uh, I think they're in the back two thirds now. Oh wow. Yep. Rachel Ross. I have two. No. <laughs> Rachel always has two. Just That's throw them both trying, out rapid fire. I'm trying fire. to decide which one, because I think I'm leaning toward one over there. I really liked Legacy of Fire. Yeah, mm-hmm. that one's good too. I yep. did. I, I understand that I probably have some nostalgia because it was the first AP that mm. I ever played. But just thinking back to it, like all the stuff we did, I'm like, I would love to play that again. I like how it ended too on the personal character side. Yeah, well, I just mm. loved everything about the ending. True. Ross? I'm going to have to go with uh, Rise of the Rune Lords. The ending set piece to that is just so incredibly dramatic and over the top that I just, it has stuck in my mind for years after we finished it. So, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I have a sneaking suspicion that Strange Aeons probably has a really rad ending, but we're not. We've never gotten there, but I just imagine yeah, that's going to happen. I want to get there. A great regret My is not God finishing it. does it. Oh. Okay, we're, we are going to do our anniversary as a group trip and like play for an entire week or something and finish it. <laughs> Sounds you, good. Would you be willing to step in as a knife-throwing Magus, Ross? Uh, sure, <laughs> why not? <laughs> Dan has a second question. Um, oh, another. Awesome. Yes, and says that uh, now that you have almost two years, depending on when you read this, maybe more with 2E, mm-hmm. how are you liking it? Um, especially for Rick's uh, from a GM's perspective, are there any mechanics that you find are so well done that you have a hard time going back to your 1E games and doing it the old way? Or are there anywhere you just rather they hadn't changed them? I can immediately think of one thing Heather's going to respond, but... Oh, yeah. I have a lot of responses here. I think we've already talked from, about it earlier, this, this yeah. particular episode. From the GM standpoint, um, well, first off, I'm liking second edition. I find second edition to be fun and interesting. It definitely has a different feel from first edition, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, secondly, I would say the one mechanic that I do love so much in second edition that I'd love to have seen more in first edition is the degrees of success. That's oh, yeah, that probably yeah. my favorite second like more so than the action economy yeah the degrees of success success is so good yeah honestly the only thing that i sometimes there's a certain vagueness as as weird as this sounds sometimes there's a certain vagueness with the rules in second edition that i enjoy the more concrete setting rules in first edition for it uh the one that i always use as an example is climbing Mm -hmm. i'm under the impression that it shouldn't be like okay well the climb dc is either decide that it's trained, untrained, expert, so on. Like, I liked just saying a brick wall is this DC, mortared wall is this DC, a cliff face is this DC, adjust it by these things. Like, I like the world to have a set DC for things, not 
this is kind of how you view it. I think that it works better when there's a concrete rule where it's not just me saying, oh, by the way, um, I don't want you to go over that fence so that fence climb DC is 40. Hmm. It's a little invisible wall in games kind of a thing, yeah. If you go yeah. past this point, you're going to desync from the Animus guys. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> But I want to go there. It looks cool. <laughs> I like when there are set DCs provided for situations, and I feel like they leave a lot of that up to just kind of GM fiat in second edition. And I think it's just my my love of having a set structure to things, even a little yeah. bit more structured than second edition is, which is less structured than first edition, although more structured than most games out there. So true. It's a minor gripe. The one thing that is weird to me as a as a GM. Um, is your NPCs do not run on the same system as your regular characters. So yeah. they, like, weirdly, you can have them use a knife and do, like, 2d12 points of damage at higher levels, but then it's just, like, a normal knife. Like, it's very, like, that part is kind of weird to me. Hmm. I, I also agree with what Jordan just said there. It is one of the issues that I had with uh, reading into Starfinder. where the Yeah, Starfinder has the same Starfinder. thing. There's a whole separate system for, for non-player creatures. Yeah. It doesn't feel as weird in Starfinder for some reason, though. Well, it's because you don't have the existing expectation. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's probably most, what it is. Most people walked into Starfinder saying, this is based on Pathfinder, but is a separate game. Yeah. As opposed to people walking into Pathfinder 2nd Edition, where they go, always come in with the preconceptions of 1st Edition. Mm-hmm. True. The thing that I think... So my original complaint was that it didn't feel magical enough, which it still doesn't feel as magical as 1st Edition. But after playing kind of a higher level character at Gen Con, I finally felt magical. And then the other big thing for me is the durations of utility spells are just too short. And some of them, even if you heighten them, they don't get longer durations. For example, I want a wild shape. I'm a druid. I'm going to wild shape into a a bird and I'm going to go do some recon. Cool. You can do that for a minute or 10 minutes maybe. I think you can eventually get to an hour. If you're like 18th level druid and you have the wild domain, you can do it permanently, essentially. That's a long time. And a minute's not a long time to use for for recon. So there's some things with like durations of utility spells that drive me nuts. So that's what I think. Otherwise, I think the system is cool. It's weird because, you know, we have been playing 2E for like two years, but coming from a background of 3.5 and then Pathfinder for like 20 years, I still feel like I have no freaking clue what I'm doing half the time. <laughs> um, I really like it. I just, like we kind of talked about earlier, I, I'm i still iffy on shields. I think maybe I'll come around on it, but just, eh. And then I really like the three-action economy, like the hardest mm-hmm. thing to do after playing Hell's Rebels and then going back to Tyrant's Grasp or Mummy's Mask is thinking, okay, well, I can move and then cast this spell and then I can, you know, take another stride. No, you cannot do that. Yeah. It gets yeah. edited out a lot where Heather's just like, I move over here, I do this thing. Also I want to pull this thing out. And it's like you can't do three can't things. Do that. The three action economy, <laughs> I really like it. I think it makes characters a lot more versatile yeah. and it's hard to like remember, oh I can't do that in second edition or first edition. Yeah, I think uh, the number one the number one change I haven't spoken about um, on this episode or the pod in general is I actually like how much better strength has become as a score um, in second mm, edition. Yeah, um, it is just so much more useful for utility. Um, whereas in first edition, you yeah. could do just about everything with dexterity that you could do with strength. So it's like, yeah, dexterity why bother? Was the stat. Yeah, like why bother with strength? You can just 
bump up your dexterity, you get a high armor class and the ability to hit and damage and the ability to do combat maneuvers and all this other stuff. So it's and it like, gives you a better save, and it, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> half of the skills of the game run off of it. I mean, really, the only Not reason half, to use yeah. strength in first edition was if you were going for just a straight up power attack build. You know, power attack's fun. I like it, but like, I like being able to do other stuff too. So, especially playing the ruffian rogue in uh, second edition has been a lot of fun. And then one of the things I would like to explore more is kind of like retraining and stuff like that. Um, there's a couple of choices I've made that I've been kind of thinking about maybe doing stuff with. I'm glad that they have rules for that. Honestly, mine's kind of a little bit of everybody's. Uh, I know during the beta test, uh, when 2E was first coming out, the duration spells for the utility stuff was probably the most annoying thing for me. Um, however, the three action economy, um, yeah, I'm with Heather where switching back to it, I'm always just like, ah, but I should be able to move Citra where I want to move her and so be able before. to do all the stuff I want. Yeah. Like, uh, it's very frustrating. However, uh, I'm going to kind of also go with uh, Ross because I finally got to, you know, play a halfling barbarian and <laughs> I feel like it was easier to make that build in 2E than it was in first edition. And I had so much fun. <laughs> so, Especially since weapon sizes don't matter. Oh, that's yeah, nice too. Yeah. Yeah. That. Okay. So there's mine. Thank you, Ross. Mm -hmm. There's mine. I like that weapon sizes don't matter and I can still <laughs> wield a falchion. Well, they do yep. matter when you go like large size well, yeah. and stuff. Like, I think they make yeah. it yeah. But to like a halfling versus a human are the same. Yeah. Most yeah. PC ancestries, with the exception of like the sprite, it, it you know, doesn't mm -hmm. really make a difference. And yeah. to throw this out there, just because we'll probably receive a, an email pertaining towards it, like, we are aware that the. Um, the utility spell things isn't every utility spell. Yeah, it's not every spell. Yeah, it's not like, everyone. Like water breathing, I think, in second edition is way better than in first edition. It wasn't during the beta test. It wasn't during the beta test, yeah. but yeah. now it's, uh, what was I looking? It's up to five creatures for one hour as a second level spell or as a third level spell for eight hours or as a fourth level spell for 24 hours. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like, it's not every amazing. utility spell. That, it's just that was amazing. And water breathing is one of those where it's a purely exploratory ability. Yes. It's yeah. not something yeah. like, you know, you could wild shape and you can use it in combat or something like that, depending yeah. on what you turn into. So uh, Dan says, thank you for all that you do. And then uh, well, finishes you, with, oh, and Rick has become my favorite GM to listen to. And I'm definitely <laughs> seeking to emulate him in my own GMing with regards to both storytelling style and preparedness with the rules. And I love his idea <laughs> of having pieces of the monster knowledge ready to go to send to players when they make their checks. So did you hey. hear it? Some praise for yeah. Rick. Um, he's I can got, feel he's doing the awkward, this awkward, he's doing the awkward, smile, the awkward yeah. smile in silence. I can feel him collapsing into a singularity. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember who. It's probably an email that we either I haven't I've read, but we haven't read on thing. But someone said uh, that my my awkward chuckle or something like is like ASMR. I'll continues to say. Um, I'm even doing that in 1E now by having three by five cards with information about the monsters, one card for each category of information. So I can hand the card to the player who made the check and the information can come from them and not from me. Ha, nice. I bet you crazy. thought you'd get out of this without a yeah. compliment. Not gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Got him. I, I did used to do that and that's, it's something that has been made easier. But when people ask us about the changes going from uh, being in person to being digital as we've been since the pandemic began, that is one of the things that being digital makes easier is handing out information. Copy paste. Copy paste. Yeah. Copy paste. So nice. You want some treasure? Here you go. It's copy paste. 
Thus ends the uh, tale of Dan from Agetta. Um, so thank you again cool. for reaching out, Dan. I hope and it doesn't end his tale. I think his tale is going to continue going on. Well, no, the tale he's told to us, I suppose. Oh, um, okay. That yeah, makes more that's, sense. That's I, thought, I, I thought you were doing. like, this and tale. he's dead now. It's like, no, 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 Yes, no. that's exactly what Ross meant. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to kill off the path folk. No, I'm not. I'm not actually going to I was going to say, that. why did Jordan's brain jump to that? <laughs> um, I don't know. I've got Ghost of Tsushima on the brain. No, oh, that's I fair. mean, that might do it. We have a third email. And uh, this is also awesome. from Dan, although Dan in this case is from Floral Park, New York. Ooh, two Dan's, one email, one session. I think Rick New was York. thinking uh, Double Dan. Apparently, I was thinking Kentaria or whatever that oh. place was that the Rooks were from. No, sorry, Dan was actually thinking Molthoon if he had to guess. I apologize. I oh, okay. Oh, okay. Well, then Molthoon it is. Yeah, yeah Molthoon. You get some Molthoon. Hit. Rick. So I did look this up earlier because I was like, he wants to be from Multhoon, but I don't know any cities in Multhoon because I haven't ever ran anything in Multhoon. Yeah. There is a place in Multhoon called Doommark, <laughs> which oh. is the seat of Multhoon's, quote, Umbral Basin province, which sounds pretty gothtacular. Cool. I like it. I'm there. Dan from Doommark Multhoon says, Dear Find the Path. Uh, I just started listening to you as I plan on one day running the Hell's Rebel AP, and I loved the story when I read the AP. Cool. A few rumor mills awesome. back. Yeah, I know, right? Hell's Rebels is great. I'm, I'm really enjoying this story. A few rumor mills back, some of you expressed not liking the secret rules, which, as a player who loves rolling dice, I totally get. Uh, yes. But, yep. <laughs> oh, but, he's got a butt. <laughs> No, but secret rules make the listening experience way more engaging. Rather than having the players ask to roll a perception, rolling, sharing results, GM telling them, one of them, that they see something, and then the player then role-playing, hey, I see something, all us listeners here is the last bit. Just wanted to give you some love for all the work editing that must be put into making the secret rules slash results sound so smooth on air, because I imagine a lot of that is Rick's editing. Surprisingly well, not. Well, there's a lot of dead. There's a lot of Rick going, okay, I got to make perception checks from everybody and then copy pasting. So what he's editing out is the 20 to 30 yeah, seconds like of all silence. of us waiting for the result. Yeah. yeah, which thankfully there's an automated tool that can help remove all of the dead air. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So honestly, whenever I'm doing the edit, there's very little to it. It's just uh, most of the edit is just me adding the sound effect that tells the audience that a secret role's been made. Or mm. editing out the uh, <laughs> us chit-chatting about stuff that doesn't matter while Rick's yeah, getting yeah, results. Yeah, yeah, or fill, we fill the space with just stuff that may or may not make it in the episode. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, no, thank you for uh, thank you for the feedback, too. It is good to know. Yes. Mm -hmm. Awesome, yeah. But I do like bouncing my shiny rocks that go clack-clack. <laughs> yep. Shiny, <laughs> shiny <math> rocks. <laughs> Well, you might be able to do that when you're fighting Magic Invisible Rat. So. Yay, <laughs> Yes. Um, he continues by saying, related to behind-the-scenes gameplay, is there a reason why you don't discuss what your characters got when they leveled up? I always liked that section of Actual Play Podcast because I learned the system as well as getting to hear what the players are excited about. So I this think might we be did. It's just been a while. I tend to just ask up. you guys to tell me one cool yeah, thing. Yeah, it's the one got. cool yeah. thing. Because we, we do publish on our website. We have all of our character sheets. Yeah, so true. if you're yeah. ever curious, you can actually fi find our character sheets and know everything that we got. But we we don't go through every little detail because it would be like 10 minutes per person. Well, some yeah, Jordan's mm -hmm. right that some of it is for time. Some of it's also just because uh, there's it's fun if you announce something that you're excited for. But then it's also fun if... Every once in a while, you could go, oh, by the way, my character also got this new cool thing later mm. on when you can suddenly pull out, like, yeah. 
Victoria can clue in two people at once, or yeah. you know, Cesare is just like, well, yeah, I got second level spells, but I'm not necessarily going to name all my second level spells. Wait and find secrets. out. Ha-ha. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, things like that. Surprise, audience. And it has been a while since we leveled up in Hell's Rebels. I feel like we leveled up pretty early in the AP, and then it's been a while. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I also have a feeling that like in Second Edition, um, each level up only has usually about two to three choices at any given time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they're different choices each time, and there's some pretty interesting ones, but there isn't necessarily, like, I don't think we need to go through and say, oh, all my skills also each one up by one, my saves each one up by one, uh, my attack yeah, rolls each I, I got this many new hit points. Yeah, yeah I mean. But, like, yeah, no, I, I picked this feat. I got this skill increase, you know. I think those are really the more interesting things and tend to be the stuff we actually talk about on air. Yeah, funny enough, we could probably even do the the level ups with a little bit more detail pretty easily in second edition, just because yeah. it tends to just be like you got three feet things where it's just like I gain evasion. I'm also now an expert in deception, and I gain this cool new class feat that lets me I don't know bat flick off bat flip off of people's heads to make them flat footed. <laughs> I love that. I would love that feat. Now I was I gonna say now I really love that feat. <laughs> if you're if you're listening, Luis, um, <laughs> Voltron, Voltron. <laughs> But yeah, um, and Dan signs off there um, by saying just sincerely, Dan from Floral Park, New York. So yeah, or Dan from uh, Doom Mark Malfoon. So thank you very much, Dan, for reaching out. I have one more quick question too, and I think this is a fun one. So I had to sneak this in because somebody actually reached out to me on the Discord. Uh, This question is from Hydroflare on our Discord server, which by the way, Ah, join our Discord server. Um, yes. If you ever get hey, a there's a link on our website. We, we mm-hmm. chit chat in there. We also broke a thousand people correctly. on there. It's insane. Yeah. Huh? Hydro Flare, Final Fantasy spell? I think maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Sounds like that a sounds like move. one. But um, Blastoise uses Hydro Flare. <laughs> for that weird water fire combo. I was thinking about this ahead of time. I was thinking maybe the Mordant Spire since Hydro Flare. So Hydro <laughs> Flare sure. from the Mordant okay, Spire. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That fits. But anyway, uh, he just had a quick question asking uh, on one of the next after parties, could you explain how to bless a table with a feline to remove bad <laughs> There are There are several steps to blessing things with your felines. Mm-hmm. Um, First, make sure the feline wants to be or is okay with being picked up. Yes. <laughs> yes. And you have to have your gaming table like set up. You can't just do it when there's not any Pathfinder or D&D stuff on there. You got to have your battle mat and everything out. And then <laughs> you pick up dice. the kitty Lion King style, okay? <laughs> so it's on its back. You're holding onto its like back and like back of its head. Well, yeah. honestly, I think the way you hold it is less important because yes. it's just however is most comfortable, comfortable for the feline. For the, for feline, the feline. Because if they're moody, then that is just not the vibe yeah. you want for the table. Mm. And then you have to wave the kitty over the entirety of the gaming space. Usually mm-hmm. at least three clockwise circles. Yeah, clockwise is important. Yes. Clockwise is very important. Don't do counterclockwise. That'll curse your table. That's anti. Yeah, yes. that's anti-blessing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. if you have multiple kitties, pick the one with the... D- with the best, like, sweetest disposition. Like, yes. the we would never bl- Yes, we would never bless a table with Rick and Rachel's demon cat, Sophie. Not unless we were playing an evil campaign. Mm. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yes, and we have never used a canine in this no. procedure, but we're not sure if it works or would not work. So, I mean, you can, sure. you can try. Yeah, or other animals, like a hamster or something. 
<laughs> we're we're getting into like some deep gaming superstitions here right now. This is the Heather mythos. Yeah. We're deep in the Heather mythos now. But we hope that answers your question, Hydro Flare. Unless somebody else had a <laughs> yes. additional thing to add to the blessings. <laughs> no, that's good. Um, but yeah. But uh, thank you for reaching out, Hydro Flare. Yeah. Yep. One last thing before we go, because I kind of teased this in the, okay. uh, the last rumor mill that we oh. did. We're going to do a casting today. Ooh, oh, my really? favorite. Oh, Get ready, yeah. Ross. Ross looks oh, shocked. Yeah. Like, Ross what? is like, uh-oh. <laughs> I'm not even going to have to have you guys roll. Oh, dear. Because I've decided for uh-huh. Hell's Rebels that I would like to cast the eight other, not yet casted, Archdevils uh-huh. of Hell. Uh, okay. Yes. Okay. All right, I'm ready. So we have already cast Jason Isaacs as Asmodeus. All right. Yes. Mm, yes. <laughs> so we're going to make our way down. Are we going backwards? Through the circles of hell. Starting at one. We're starting at one. So let's go ahead and start with the uh, the Lord of the First Circle of Hell, otherwise known as Barbatos. Hmm. Oh, the God. pirate. <laughs> or Barbatos, whichever a good, you A good island to visit on vacation. That's Barbados. Okay. That's the joke. Barbados is the youngest of the archdevils and, in fact, is not truly a devil at all. Hmm. His true nature remains unknown and perpetually cloaked. Hmm. But when he appears at Hell's gates, bearing the souls of an entire mortal world and transformed them into Hell's first legion of Barbazus as an offering, the Prince of Darkness saw fit to grant Barbados rulership over Hell's first lair, Avernus. As Hell's door warden, Barbados oversees the spaces between the worlds, and his followers are those who tread such interestial paths and hold no qualms about the ethics of their journeys. He is described as shrouded in a raggy, ragged, raggy, raggy, shrouded in a ragged old cloak. His features masked by impenetrable shadows. Even other archdevils have not seen his face. What parts of him are glimpsed on occasion reveal an alien physiology, even to that of devils. He often walks hunched with a cane, greasy root-like tendrils like some grotesque mockery of a wise hermit's beard shudder out from under the darkness surrounding his face, and his three glowing alien red eyes form a pyramid shape. He sounds like he should be hanging out with my fellows in the mythos. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like he's going to be a CG character. (laughs) His his common titles are the Bearded Lord, Demon Friend, the Mistletoe Monk. That's an interesting one. That's a weird one. The Iron Hierophant, the Keeper of Lost Children. The hmm. wise man of the wilds and the lord of the first. Hmm. Interesting. I actually do have one. All right, Ross. So um, I wanted ahead and went back uh, kind of old school. Um, you may remember him. Some of his most favorite roles. It, some of his most famous roles include Blofeld from the original 007 series, as mm. well oh, as huh. Doctor Loomis from uh, Halloween. Uh, none other than Donald Pleasance. Mm, I think that he would gosh, do a very interesting villain. Choice. Very cool. I think that very cool. he's a very interesting guy. He's definitely got a sort of smarm to him if he needs to, but he also is uh, kind of scary sometimes. So, yeah. Mm. All right. Who's next? I think it's Rick. So I'm going to go for an interesting one, but this man has a phenomenal speaking voice. So... And a history in horror, which makes him great for playing a horror character. I'm going to go with Tony Todd. Hmm. Oh, I tried to cast him as something. Yeah, most people are most familiar with him as uh, he plays Candyman in the Candyman Wars. Yeah, that's Uh, He also, he's been in a lot of DC stuff uh, as Darkseid. 
because he has that gravitas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's also, quote, unquote, quote, the personification of death in the Final Destination franchise. Yeah. Um, also, like, I think the first thing I probably saw him in before I could even watch Candyman is uh, he was Kern, uh, Worf's brother in Star Trek. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Wasn't he in Star Trek? Yeah. Oh. See, I saw him on X-Files. But, oh, also uh, Night of the Living Dead. Oh. But anyway. Hmm. But guy, the guy has such gravitas and is so, like, it's it's this wonderful combination of being both alluring but intimidating at once. Like any of the Candyman stuff that you've seen, there's just that charm to him. Is he going to be in the new one? The one that he just came out? He is in the new one, I believe. Is he Candyman again? Uh, it, the new one's already out, and Mumford yeah. told me it was phenomenal. Oh. Like it was the best Candyman movie since the first one. Oh, good. All right. Well, I'm going to go completely differently. Uh, different direction. Um, I am going with Joaquin Phoenix. And I'm hmm. thinking specifically oh. about Gladiator. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He can he can definitely do the creep factor. Yeah. He's just that. got like a vibe about him that's always a little unnerving. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I do like Joaquin Phoenix. Mm-hmm. All right. I went on a I went on a weird one here because uh, nobody immediately jumped out, so the Googles have helped me out. <laughs> I'm gonna go for Denzel Washington. Okay. Hmm. All right. It's a little it's a little out there, but Denzel is a charming hmm. man. Uh, also, can be scary. Um, I'm thinking of like Book of Eli. He's got a good he's voice. Like super intense. He's got a really, a really good voice and everything. So mm-hmm. be a very interesting, uh, I think, stretch. But I think he could pull it off. Mm. Oh. So uh, my my choice is no longer with us, but I'm going to go with Christopher Lee. Ah, mm. uh, uh, yes. Uh, yes. I like such gravitas. Yeah. Yeah. Something about like the beard and the staff and everything. I was just like that was that was who occurred to me first too. But I was like, mm, oh, was but he's like, not with us anymore. That's okay. We've had a, we have several that are no longer with us. No, but some posthumous casting. Yes, mm-hmm. but I, I, I would fi- choose uh, <laughs> the late great casting. Christopher Lee. Yeah. yeah. No. And yeah. then this de- then this devil lord could also uh, sing some heavy metal to True. entertain True. us. So. <laughs> and Gandalf the Grey rides to Isengard. <laughs> Seriously. Also, he plays a mean Dracula. Yeah, he does. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm. We've never posthumously cast Bela Gosi either. Because <laughs> he really only has the one role. No, he uh, he's played all sorts of strange things. Oh, I know. It's just that that's the only thing anybody ever remembers him. That's from, true. Yeah, because he was actually a very good actor. Yeah, he, and he did. He really did not care what he was in. He would take just about anything. Um, so I am gonna go with Willem Dafoe. Willem, <laughs> Willem Dafoe. Because there <laughs> is no one I can think of that can encapsulate creepy yet alluring kind of at the same time and I saw this picture of him from uh, uh, what is it Straits of Fire mm-hmm. and I'm like yes yeah Willem Dafoe I was saving for a later devil but he is a good choice he's 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 good I I like him and he can grow one heck of a beard so I would love to see uh, Willem Dafoe and uh, Nicolas Cage in like a crazy eyes off Christopher Walken, yeah, he's pretty great. John Malkovich, also really good at the crazy eyes. Yeah, but, yep. but the thing is, though, is that I've seen him in roles where he is like surprisingly like gentle and sweet too. So the man, oh yeah, got oh yeah, range. he's got yeah. some serious range for sure. Like, but Willem Dafoe, that that one's mine. Yeah, all, all right. right. So well, as as always, Pathfolk, you can go to our Reddit and vote on this uh, on who you think should be the. Barbados. 
And for those of you not accustomed uh, to this, you can go to our, if you've only listened to Hell's Rebels, we do have mm. a subreddit. We do. Where you can go and they uh, post up uh, a voting for this. So you can choose which one of these six options you like the most. And I'm not mm-hmm. going to lie. I'm going to put Willem Dafoe probably up for all of them until he gets picked. <laughs> yeah, I was saving him. Yeah, that'll. Uh, I think that'll do it for today. So thank you, everybody, for joining us here at the Rumor Mill. Um, we do hope that you had a good time. And uh, I suppose we'll see you all in the next episode. Until then, Ooh. may Milani protect your secrets. And uh, yeah. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye. Good luck, Pathfinders. I like my castings like I like my gods. Covered in bees. <laughs> <laughs> Find the Path Ventures is an officially licensed partner of Paizo Incorporated. Hell's Rebels is copyright 2015. Hell's Rebels and the Pathfinder Adventure Path are trademarks of Paizo. All Pathfinder images are property of Paizo and are used with permission. Find the Path Ventures have converted Hell's Rebels from Pathfinder to Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Conversion notes are available to our Patreon backers at patreon.com backslash findthepath. <laughs>